Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokwu. Today, I am very pleased to say we are joined by Lee Wingate. Lee is one third of the other Bundesliga podcast, a show dedicated to the Austrian Bundesliga and the Austrian national team. Lee is joining us today to discuss the Austrian Bundesliga. Uh, we'll look at Red Bull Salzburg, the other contenders in the league, the wealth of young talent coming through within the league and the Austrian national team. Before we start, we would like to bring to your attention our new Twitter giveaway competition where you could be in for a chance to win a Premier League jersey of your choosing. Simply retweet the post and follow us at YFootball underscore. This is an aid of a name change to, as you can now see on your player, YFootball um, and the new spelling. The competition is also an aid of our new website and blog where you'll find short form articles alongside our original podcast content. So Lee, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, can't really complain. Uh, it's a bit chilly outside, but apart from that, good. <laughs> <laughs> Similar situation here. Yeah. 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 So how is Vienna? You, um, how has it been during coronavirus? Or how is it now? Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a lockdown right now and that's supposed to come to an end on Sunday then moves mm. towards a kind of lockdown light but I imagine it's it's been pretty similar to, to most European countries and what you guys have experienced the last few months as well not ideal fortunately we're able to get out a little bit here and there to go to some games kind of breaks yeah. up the the time at home but yeah it's uh, I think it's been the same for everyone really so fans are back in the in the grounds in some capacity are they so we've just I think that's starting today in the UK at the moment we don't we have we have a small number of fans allowed at, at games but it's you know it, it really detracts from the atmosphere at the moment during the full lockdown which has been a couple of weeks there haven't been any fans so I was at the Vienna derby at the weekend and seeing a rapid Austria Vienna game with no one in the stadium it's just really sad because it's one of the highlights mm-hmm. of the football calendar here and it, it just felt yeah it just felt like a very sad occasion but for for some games once the full lockdown ends they will allow I think some fans back into the stadium so that's a start and um, the clubs need money, obviously. So it's, it's important that they can get back. Yeah. But so to kick things off fairly, I thought we'd just start by touching on the, the other Bundesliga, your your page, your blog, and obviously your podcast. Um, I'd be interested to know basically how that all kicked off um, for yourself and, and your colleagues. So we've, we've been friends for, for a long time. All lived in Vienna since around 2015. And we kind of obviously watch a lot of Premier League and I do some work in the German Bundesliga so we watched a lot of football together but we we found that you know there's this this kind of league out there that we didn't know anything about and it was right on our doorstep so we decided to try and kind of force it a little bit I kind of use the analogy of an arranged marriage we tried to make ourselves love it um you know <laughs> see see if we could get into it and, and see what we thought of it and it kind of just took off from there. We found ourselves getting really interested in the league, getting accreditation to go to the games. You know, we did some really cool interviews, probably yeah. the highlight being with Salzburg's coach, Jesse Marsh, who's a, just a really great guy. That was mm. a great interview. And then just by coincidence, more and more English teams started coming out here and, and other teams as well. We've seen the likes of like Napoli, Genk. I'm going to the Atletico Madrid game against Salzburg next week, which is, is oh, wow. going to be kind of a decider for the group. And, you know, it's just kind of snowballed, really. And, yeah, we've we've really enjoyed the journey. Yeah, so have you got a, a favourite team back home in England? Um, yeah, fully. Sorry for the disruption. My Amazon Alexa is going crazy in the background and I didn't have to <laughs> shut her up. So uh, I hope you can either edit that out or it's just a bit of colour in the pod. No worries, <laughs> no worries, no worries. No worries. I thought... 
Lee, I thought you had enough. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, she, yeah, she's just chatting in the background and I'm yeah, <laughs> trying to work out what's the best way to go about this, but she wasn't stopping. Um, favorite team back home. I've always been a, a United fan, but I, I work for Borussia Dortmund now. So I, I think sort of my, um, my football fandom is migrating a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I follow the German Bundesliga very closely as well as the Austrian one. Yeah, so so kind of to to move things on a little bit, Lee. Um, you know, the Austrian league is heavily dominated by um, Red Bull Salzburg, and they currently sit top of the league uh, with LSK, I believe, in second place. So, kind of the first question I had for you is: Can anyone stop Salzburg? Because I think at the moment they've won the league every single season since I think 2012, 2013. Wow. Uh, so, you know, can that, you know, monopoly end or is it going to be the same old this season, do you think? It's hard to see it stopping. I mean, the closest thing we've had to a title race in years was last season where last ran them really close. So the way that the league works here is you have, um, you have like 22 rounds. So the 12 teams play mm-hmm. each other once home yeah. and away, pretty standard. And then it splits into a top six and a bottom six. And those top six places compete for the title in the European places and then the bottom six are, are you know trying to avoid that one relegation spot and in the in the first half of the season last one all 11 of their away games which has never been done in the Bundesliga before hmm. and they ran them pretty close um, in the end there was a bit of a scandal where they they were caught training during the coronavirus restrictions so they were filmed um, training when they weren't supposed to be and they were docked points and they never really recovered from that. They lost a lot of games in the, the championship round, as we call it, the, mm-hmm. the final stage of the season. And that was as close as it's come to to somebody really challenging Red Bull Salzburg properly. Um, otherwise, you know, it, otherwise, unless there's an exceptional season like that, again, I can't really see it happening just because of the strength of their recruitment, their financial might. It's just hard to see. So at the moment, we're at the stage where Red Bull Salzburg have, I think, 14 league titles since their formation in 2005. And Rapid Vienna are the record champions on 32. And it honestly wouldn't surprise me if I was sitting here in 20 years saying <laughs> Red Bull Salzburg have overtaken them. Um, so honestly, it's hard to foresee. I see. Uh, you mentioned they were caught training. So it's a little bit like Spygate with uh, Marcelo Bielsa trying to... <laughs> trying to get a or is it Derby County is trying to view their training session do you, do you know who caught them or is that just remained remained a secret so uh this it gets even more intriguing I think yeah. because two masked intruders broke into their training ground the night before right. they were caught and okay. installed security cameras so on the one hand you've got them being caught and clearly filmed training four times actually it wasn't just a one-off mm-hmm. um, doing something they they weren't supposed to do and then on the other hand you've got the club themselves uh, accusing these intruders of industrial espionage so <laughs> it was about about as exciting as the austrian bundesliga gets um, and the risk originally they they made the punishment six points mm. which meant that that Lask went from being three points ahead of Salzburg to three points behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was reduced to four on appeal. But by that point, the season had already gone. Like they, 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 they never really recovered from it. You need everything you can get against Salzburg. And to be hit, hit like that, their results just fell off a cliff. I think something like, I think they got like three wins, a draw and six defeats, or it's, it's, it's something, something along those lines that they, they really just, they just fell off a cliff and it was such a shame to see because they'd had such a good season in the Europa League as well. Mm. This is a team that hadn't been in Europe for ages that had only come up from the, I think the regional leagues a few years prior. 
and they'd you know beaten PSV Eindhoven four one at home. They'd beaten oh. Sporting, finished mm-hmm. top of top of this group. Then played against Alkmaar. Then played against Man United. Um, so it's just a shame that the the campaign ended in that way, given that it started full of so much promise. It's a shame indeed. Reminiscent of when Arsenal season collapsed when Eduardo unfortunately <laughs> broke his leg. I had to mention Which that story. I had to mention that story because it still bothers me to this day. Um, moving on, I, I saw the, your one of your tweets um, saying that uh, the Austrian Bundesliga at the moment has the highest number of goals per game, which was quite um, quite an interesting statistic. So, w- would you say it's the most exciting league around at the moment? That statistic is probably skewed heavily by Red Bull Salzburg, who, yeah. for example, I mean the the dominance of of their dominance in the league is, I'd say kind of unparalleled in Europe or maybe there are a few a few leagues that are so heavily dominated by one team but to give an example they put eight past St. Poulton at the weekend they've hit teams for seven about four or five this season so it's partly down to Red Bull Salzburg but it's also partly down to the fact that there's uh, I don't know maybe it's a lack of defending or, or some really good attacking I imagine it's probably a lack of defending but it does make it a really interesting game to see I've I've been going to games here for two seasons now and I've never seen a goalless draw um oh, wow. I think you know like there that just it rarely happens you, you do get a lot of goals and uh, yeah it does make it exciting I'd, I'd encourage a lot of people because so many football fans their horizons are either limited to the Premier League which is undoubtedly the best league in the world and then you might look a bit further afield at sort of Spain Germany and Italy but few people really kind of go beyond that they might see teams occasionally in Europe but give the Austrian Bundesliga a try it's, it's hard to to find where you can watch it like in the US for example they've just started broadcasting some games in the UK it's, it's still a, still you know not readily available hmm. if you get the chance to even just take a break once once corona's over and either watch a game in Vienna or in Salzburg it's it's a really nice experience and you see some good stuff as well so I, I'd recommend yeah. it but maybe I'm biased yeah it's a very different experience I've, I went to a Cologne to a Cologne player and um and obviously in the Bundesliga, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago around the Christmas time. Um, and it's such a different experience. I mean, the stadium, for example, in Cologne um, is a bit far out of the city. It's, it's a different experience altogether. You could drink, you could you could eat and drink at the stands. I think there's been some talk about that recently in England with regards to uh, fans coming back during coronavirus. Yeah, so moving back to Salzburg, you know, the Salzburg steam train, as I'd like to call it now. Who, who, <laughs> who have been the uh, shining lights for them this season? Would you say? I think there's two players that probably stand out above all others. Um, first of all, Patson Dacker. Yeah, I call him Postman Patson because he always delivers. He's uh, <laughs> he's oh, he's neat. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm the guy on our podcast that's known for for doing all the bad puns. So yeah, he's uh he's you know he's a very talented player. He became the first Zambian to score in the Champions League last season. Very fast, very athletic, very powerful. A very good finisher and very intelligent as well. So he's kind of got the the whole package, and he's really stepped into Erling Holland's shoes because there were a lot of doubts. I think that Salzburg would be able to maintain the the speed of the the steam train, as you put it, without him. And they've done really well. He's he scored and ended up scoring twenty four goals, I think, in the league last season, and was the, the second top scorer. So he's definitely one. The other one, and probably the biggest name right now, is, is Dominic Soboslai, who you may have heard of because he's been linked quite a lot with Arsenal, among other clubs. Mm. Um, he's got an incredible right foot, incredible set-piece taker, <laughs> crosser. Um, he just fits really well into Salzburg's system. So Jesse Marshall likes to play a sort of 
4-2-2-2 formation. So it's kind of like with two deep-lying central defensive midfielders and those two further forward are slightly wider. And Sobosly plays in that role on the left. And he's just been in really good form. I think he's always had the talent. But up until about March, he was, was quite inconsistent generally. So he was the player that gave the ball away when they lost 4-3 at Anfield last season. So they came back from 3-1 or 3-0 down or whatever it was, got it to 3-3. Then Sobosly gave the ball away and Mo Salah scored the winner. And I think really, I've, he, he never really, that game included, never really impressed me all that much until around March when the league split into the, the championship rounds. And he just came into his own, something like five goals and eight assists in, in nine games or, or something, something like that. And uh, yeah, he's just grown from there. He's helped Hungary reach the Euros. Um, and he's just been, a, again, the shining light for, for Salzburg this season. So I'd say those mm. two probably stand out. But, you know, I could could talk all day about the others i won't i'll spare you but uh, <laughs> yeah there are there are lots of other talents there as well are you um yeah you touched on pat and daka and the way also uh Sekou Koite, um and we touched on before the call uh karim adeyemi and in his outstanding uh somehow he managed to do a backflip <laughs> from one standing leg without a run-up which was incredible <laughs> for salzburg against locomotive moscow after scoring um but seemingly, I mean, obviously Salzburg are part of the Red Bull network who have a, a great wealth and network of players and knowledge within that. Is there is there links there? Is there a particular link there between, say, I mean, they're all African players who now play for Salzburg. Has there been like a link fostered there between that particular region? I think they just, the scouting network is really heavily focused on countries in Africa, like markets that were previously untapped. So if you look at some of the countries they've gone into, Mali, um, I, I can't name all that many Malian footballers, and then suddenly you've got you've got a fair few coming through Guinea as well, where they got um, Nabi Keita from uh, Zambia as well, because there's Enoch Mwepu in in addition to to Pats and Daka, who's currently yeah. in the squad. So I think their focus has just been to try and get a really good system set up on the ground in these countries, and also it it gives the young players a, a platform to shine in Europe young African players they they want to get to Europe like like most young players all around the world and they know that if they impress with Salzburg then then they might get a bigger transfer elsewhere so it, it works both ways yep. it's good for the player and the club yeah so speaking about uh, transfers um do we think uh Sabosly, or if I've said his name correctly um do we do you believe he'll be in Europe very soon or Western Europe very soon so you mentioned the links with Arsenal and I've seen Bayern Munich and also um, Leipzig obviously you know under the Red Bull network do we do we think it's going to happen in January or is it like a summer thing or do you think he needs even more time than that I think Salzburg there's a realization here that when they've got these talented young players they know that they're not going to keep them as much as they'd like to. So Jesse Marsh I recently heard him on an interview saying, you know, you can't resist the fact or hate the fact that these players are going to leave because otherwise it will just get in the way of your cooperation and your working relationship with them. There's a there's a there's an acceptance that it's just the natural order and the way of things. A year ago I was asked around this time whether Erling Haaland would leave midway through the season. And I said, no, he's going to stay until the summer. He's, he he has, hasn't even had a full season in Austria yet. And I was proven wrong. Within a few weeks, he was off to Dortmund. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm wary of making the same mistake. You know, there's a chance that Sobosley could stay until the end of the season. But if Salzburg finish bottom of their Champions League group and there's no European football, I can't see him staying beyond the winter. 
so I, I think he could go in January. As to where he could go, uh, you know, there's so many players, I think around 20 now that have gone from Salzburg to Leipzig. It wouldn't be surprising. Um, but I think perhaps he's destined for for the Premier League or, or you know, yeah, I'd say probably the Premier League would, would suit him well as well. So if I had to guess, I would say probably will go to England. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one because obviously Liverpool have um, Minamino. Um, he's come over here, and I remember when I watched the game last season, the front three uh, was obviously Haaland, uh, Huang Hee Chan, and, and Minamino, uh, and the latter two um, have struggled slightly, maybe to hit the heights of Haaland, who's obviously come in flying, and the other two, I think Huang Hee Chan is struggling from coronavirus at the moment, and Minamino has. Hasn't played poorly specifically, but also hasn't necessarily shone specifically that well. Now, do you think both of those two players will take time to adapt? Um, or do you think that maybe the moves to Europe were too soon for those types of players? Because I think when you come from Austria, someone like Haaland really surprised me because he's come in and within seconds he's settled. And is it for those two players that the gap is potentially too large or they just need more time? I think it's a, it's a few things. I mean, I initially thought that Minamino to Liverpool, it, it was kind of that classic thing where, you know, like back in the back in the day, you see a player in the World Cup and buy him based on a few good performances. And yeah. you know, it was a case of they saw him in the Champions League and they thought his release clause is something like seven or eight million. Why not mm-hmm. have him? So he's there as a squad player in Minamino's mm-hmm. case. I think that it was probably a very big jump for him. He needs regular playing time. He needs to be played in his right position and he needs the trust of the coach. He's one of those players. I think he needs to feel the trust of the coach. So maybe that will come in time. But, you know, Liverpool is such, there's such a wealth of talent there. Um, I don't know if, you know, I can't necessarily say that I'm sure it's going to work out for him. I really hope it does. But it wouldn't also surprise me if, you know, you saw him moving to, uh, perhaps a slightly smaller club in, in the years to come if he's not getting the playing time he wants. Having said that, he is a real team player. So maybe it doesn't bother him that he's not getting first-team football all the time. As for Huang, I was really surprised about that transfer because obviously Timo Werner left Leipzig and there's a big hole to fill at centre-forward. So I thought that if they were going to take anyone from Salzburg, it would have been Pats and Daka. Mm. So I was quite surprised to see Huang Hee Chan, who is you know, a very adaptable and versatile player, but it's primarily played out in a wide position. So I was kind of surprised to see that transfer happen. And I have to be honest, I haven't followed his progress that closely since he's got to Leipzig. Um, but he's he's definitely, you know, he's a, very, he's a very, very good player. And, you know, if both of those guys are given the opportunity, they will they will do well. And kind of um, to the, my, my next question is, uh, when we did our first podcast on the Red Bull Network, we uncovered this small uh, feeder club, which is used in Austria called FC Liffering, which completely threw me uh, when I was doing my research. And, and I'm aware that um, two of the, the, the both goal scorers, I believe, yesterday have spent some time there. And I wanted to ask how crucial the partnership between uh, Liffering and Salzburg has been in developing talent for the first team in Salzburg who have then gone on to do fantastic things. It's incredibly important. So it's it's like their, their feeder club and mm. all of these young players, particularly the ones that come over from, from Africa, they, they use them in at Liffering first. Mm. And then sometimes they have like cooperation agreements where players can sometimes play for Liefering, but also play for Salzburg. So it's, it, okay. yeah, it's an incredibly important structure. Um, and, you know, a lot of the players that, that came through at Leaf Ring were then part of the, you know, the under-19 Salzburg team that won the UEFA Youth League a few years ago, 2017. I'm not sure exactly. I think that was the, 
Jesse Marsh's predecessor, Marco Rosa, he got mm. the Salzburg head coach job because I think the year before he'd won the UEFA Youth League, which is like the, you know, the, the under-19 yeah, yeah. Champions League. So, yeah, leafering is incredibly important. And, you know, a lot of those players, they don't just put them in at leafering, but it's quite commonplace here to have Salzburg loaning a lot of their their strikers or their their, their young midfielders out to other clubs in the Austrian Bundesliga for experience. So leafering is one part of the puzzle. But they'll also, for example, Mergin Berisha, who scored uh, twice yesterday against Lokomotiv Moscow, mm-hmm. he was at Altak, which is uh, a provincial club in the Bundesliga, right over in almost the western part of the country on the border with Switzerland. And it's you know it's a very small place, quite a you know it's not a big name in in European football by any means. But he got the experience there. Seku Koita was down in in Wolfsburg who um, you know, are playing regularly in the Europa League. And it's, it's what Salzburg do. They bring players over and they kind of have this massive pool of talent. They bring them through at Liefering, send them out to other clubs in the Bundesliga and then bring them back. Um, and that's that's just how they work. And it, it works very well for them. Very interesting. And kind of one of the final questions I kind of have for you in, in this part anyway, is what are your thoughts on, on Jesse Marsh? So I know he was at uh, New York Red Bulls uh, at one point in time and then came over and the reason why I ask that is because, especially in England, there's this stigma around US coaches, which is pretty outdated, I think. But, you know, it's quite uncommon to see someone in at the European stage or at a relatively good club like Salzburg managing who, who's from America. And I find it quite uh, his story pretty interesting. I, I wanted to know what the view was of him in Austria. Well, actually, when he was first announced as the replacement for Marco Rosa, it wasn't a popular choice. Mm. Um, but I think he's he's really warmed himself uh, to the fans very quickly, not just because of the success, but also the style of football, which is very attack-based. You know, they'll always concede, but they'll always score a, a bucket load of goals as well. And uh, also, I think just a personal touch, I think there's so many uh, players from English-speaking countries or coaches as well who go abroad and, you know, they, they don't necessarily learn the language. Jesse Marsh from from day one has been speaking German. You know, I mean, I, I speak German. Uh, Jesse Jesse's German is great. It's quite broken in places, but he's trying and it's like a respect thing. He's, he's doing everything in German as much as he can. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he's just, you know, he's he's been really warmly received now and already... There are, you know, links about him, you know, stories about him potentially going to Borussia Dortmund, for whom I think he'd, he'd actually be an excellent fit, and, and several other clubs as well. Um, obviously, a lot's also been made of the fact that he's, you know, the first American to manage in the Champions League. Mm. Uh, he has a chance to become the first American to, to manage in the Champions League knockout stages if mm. Salzburg can beat Atleti next week. So, yeah, it's just been a, a success story for him. And again, a benefit of this this Red Bull network is that, you know, he was the assistant coach at uh, RB Leipzig and then he's handed the the big job in Salzburg. Who knows, maybe he'll end up being Julian Nagelsmann's replacement at, at Leipzig in a few years. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, Jesse's a, a really nice guy as well, not just not just a good coach. But when we went there, we, we did our interview and um, yeah, we went we went in and, and met him and he said, uh so was it? He said something like, "Can I get you guys a drink? We've got plenty of Red Bull," which you know, <laughs> wasn't a surprise. But yeah, he's, he's he's such a nice guy as well that I think he's he's just universally popular. Yeah, the secret to the success is just a limited cans of Red Bull throughout the system. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> Jamie, the Jamie Vardy recipe. Yeah, <laughs> we discussed that in a previous podcast. Yeah, we did. Bad, but yeah, 
<laughs> it's well, it's worked. It's worked, hasn't it? So it's a secret for success. Um, so yeah, so so moving on now, um, Lee, to uh, the Austrian national team, which, like uh, the Austrian Bundesliga, has has risen to prominence somewhat. So I mean, I was doing a bit of bit of research of my own um, prior to this and looking at where the national team were previously. And since since the turn of millennium, Austria have only played at two major tournaments, um, one of which they hosted in two thousand and eight, um, the Euros. Um, and in that same year of the Euros, they slumped to the lowest ranking of 105, as in 2008. Um, they, but they did reach as high as 10th in 2016, so, so quite the turnaround, and are currently ranked 23rd. So um, my first question to you is, what, what do you think has changed for the Austrian national team? That's a, that's a tough one. I that's mean, a big one. I think <laughs> there, there, there's a... There's a, there's a very good generation of players there. You pointed out that they were up to 10th in 2016. I think that that point in time coincided with their qualification campaign for the Euros, where I think only England had a better record in that campaign. I think Austria won nine of their 10 games. And so we went into that tournament really optimistic about Austria's chances. Then they ended up coming bottom of a group where you only needed to finish in the top three to qualify. That was a group with yeah. Portugal, Iceland and Hungary. And, you know, they, they really disappointed in that sense. Uh, since then, they've got a new coach, Franco Foda, uh, a German manager. And I think there's two ways of looking at it. Looking at it from a, a results point of view, Austria are in a relatively good position right now. They've just won a Nations League group with Romania, yeah. Uh, Norway, so where some of the players were reunited with Erling Haaland and Northern Ireland as well. So from a results point of view, they're at the upcoming Euros. Great. They've won the Nations League group and they're now in League A. Fantastic. But I think also the, the style of football is something that, that causes a lot of people to be quite negative at the moment. They're very defensive, just about getting results. And these are players, you know, a lot of them are schooled in the Red Bull uh, philosophy where it's all about attacking, going forward, pressing. And then they're linking up with the national team and almost playing a completely opposite style of football. Um, and it just seems a bit counterintuitive to me when you've got all of these attacking players, not necessarily a centre forward, but lots of good creative players. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a bit of caution about the upcoming Euros because we know on the one hand they've got a lot of good players and they've been getting good results but they've also got this track record where they, they struggle a little bit at, at tournaments uh, like in, in 2016. And, and also the style of football doesn't really breed too much optimism as well. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I was looking at the, looking at the side, um, the last side that played Northern Ireland in the Nations League, as you mentioned. Um, and pretty much almost the entire team plays in the Bundesliga. There's obviously you've got Conrad Leimer and um, Marcel Sabitzer that play for for Leipzig and you know, there's a culture in the Bundesliga has been for a number of years of high pressing attacker mentality and, and not more so is that evidenced at, at Leipzig as you said and so obviously for them to come in um, and obviously as you said to, to play a more defensive style of brand of football is obviously counterintuitive for for a lot of them um, but aside from play, maybe the players that I've just I've just mentioned there uh, so Sabitzer, Lima, we've also got Alaba and Altovic I believe is still involved in the setup mm-hmm. who would you say is the standout performers in the Austrian team that perhaps we don't quite know um, well, you've got the the two fullbacks who are very good. Um, you've got, I think, Steph, Stefan Leiner. He's very good. And then, so I'm looking over my shoulder here because I've got the, got the team sheet up. Um, <laughs> Ul- Ulmer of Salzburg. Yeah, yeah Ulmer of, of, of Salzburg is very good as well. So the two fullbacks, um, 
the player that I think really everyone will be talking about in a in a few years, I mean, at least everyone that's involved in, in German and Austrian football at least, is Christoph Baumgartner of, of mm. Hoffenheim, who is an attacking midfielder who only made his debut this year, but he's already really like part of the part of the furniture in, in the Austria team. He's he's a very good attacking creative midfielder, lots of good flicks, passes, and very dynamic. So he's one to watch out for. I think the the issue is with Austria that they're actually more good players, but they don't really get in the team because Franco Foda, I think, uh, is is very conservative and very reluctant to field players in the Austrian Bundesliga. He usually picks players that are based abroad or, or based mm. in Germany. And I think that's been a criticism of him because as Lask have risen, they've got some fantastic players. Their goalkeeper, Alexander Schlager, very good. Um, their defender, Gernot Trauner, who's unfortunately uh, suspended for the Tottenham game this week. That's a real blow. But these are guys that deserve their place. And, and slowly it seems to be changing. They are getting chances, but I think that they need to be, you know, regular fixtures in the team, really. Hey, kind of a question I have uh, talking about the Austrian national team is, where can David Alaban not play? Because <laughs> I think he's one of those players that over the years I've seen him, I've seen him feature in quite a few positions. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just, for him as a player, I know that he's been linked. I have a question about that, about his future later on, but I just find him an incredible, incredible player. And I think with the younger players that you've mentioned, and I know they're playing conservative football, surely with, with him at the helm, with some of the people that Dryden mentioned, they still have a, a slim chance of maybe having a successful Euros, no? I don't know. I'm forever the optimist. I'd like to. I'd like to think so, but I just, I just, I'm wary of of the style that they play, and I, I don't know. I can't. I can't. Somehow, I want to. I want to believe they can have a good Euros, but I, I just, I don't think they will. Yeah, well, they've, they've got their group is I think North North Macedonia, uh, the Netherlands, and Ukraine. So it's it's not the hardest of groups. Um, you'd say from the odds. I mean, Netherlands have got a, a great young squad that have have uh, came through in recent years. I can't say I'm overly versed in. Uh, North Macedonia and Ukraine, but it, it's a chance at least they've done well in the Nations League. Um, and what we'd say was a weaker group than what they're going to go into in the Euros. But you know, there's a chance at least. And with the, with the Euros, as we saw, and I'm not a big fan of it, but we saw last time, you can finish third and you can go through, um, and you can get through to the semi-finals, yeah. finishing third, like I think Wales did. Um, and so there's forever hope within that competition, and hopefully it'll fare for England, but obviously hopefully it'll it'll fare for Austria too. Yeah, I think Portugal got to the final without... I mean, they didn't win a group game. I think they got three draws and got yeah. through the group in third place. So I think it has heavily diluted the competition. The teams like Austria, um, you know, they are perhaps benefiting from that because they're not necessarily a, a team that you think would come in the top two of a group. So the option of qualifying through the third place is, is sort of, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, uh, a positive for them. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I still, as a football fan, just from a purist point of view, I don't like the fact that the third, the third, some of the third teams go through. Because also, it's you know, it's like the Champions League used to be, where you have to be one of the best third place teams. And I think you need to know just within your group, are you going to finish in the, in the top two, or are you not going to finish in the top two? And it should just be that clear cut, rather than it depending on what happens in in other groups. And uh, just to come back to your question before about David Alaba, which. Um, Mm. I didn't answer because I was focusing on the second part of the question. But David Alaba, yeah. he, you know, he's so versatile, but he just excels in every one of these positions. So he used to be primarily a left back for for Bayern Munich. Then the last yeah. half of last season, he was just a centre back all the time. 
And then for Austria recently, he's been playing on the left of midfield and he also plays in central midfield. So, yeah, I think he, he's just so versatile. He seems to slot in anywhere and he's still Austria's best player. He's like, you know, the David Beckham of Austria, basically. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a very important player for them and, and they'll, they'll need him if they're, if they're going to do well next summer. Yes, yeah, so, so kind of moving on to his his future because um, I have quite a few friends who are Liverpool fans and they've been screaming to me that, oh, what's going to happen in January is <laughs> David Alaba's going to sign from Bayern Munich and then Liverpool are going to win the league, which I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure that's going to happen. Um, but on his future in general, there seems to be quite a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say negative comments from both him and, and Bayern Munich, but it seems to be that they're going to definitely part ways. So where do you kind of see him ending up? Do you see him secretly signing a new deal at Bayern? Or is it going to be to the Premier League? Or I think there were talks of Spain potentially. There's, there seems to be quite a lot of animosity between the Alaba camp and people at Bayern. So I think, for example, Uli Hoeneß, who I think up until recently was the president, I don't think he is anymore. He's He described Alaba's agent as a money-grabbing piranha, which is never <laughs> really, you know, a very good starting point for contract <laughs> negotiations. So I, I would imagine that, I think he probably wants a new challenge as well. I'd imagine that, you know, he might he might well move on to Liverpool when they've already got Andy Robertson at left back, maybe as a centre back, he could go to Liverpool and play in that function. But uh, I, I've seen him linked. You've seen him linked with a lot of countries um, a lot of clubs in different countries, Chelsea. I've seen him linked with Chelsea as well, but I think personally, like he, he personally wants to, wants to go to Spain. I think that would be his preferred destination. He's reportedly not been that interested in a move to England. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of it and, and where he ends up. Then again, he could just do a complete U-turn and end up staying at Bayern and, and winning many more league titles and, and Champions League. So remains to be seen. All right, then, Malif, thank you very much for, for coming on today. Thank you very much for your insight. It's, uh, as I said, it's uh, the Austrian Bundesliga and the national team have become, um, you know, piqued the interest of, of many people in football, not not just because of the forays in Europe of, of the likes of Salzburg, but also because we've got a Euros coming up and we've got a wealth of Austrian talent next season. So, so the next year, sorry. So hopefully they will fare well in the Euros, but uh, best of luck with the other Bundesliga um, where fans and, you know, hope it grows and continues to grow um, like it has been. So okay, thank you very much for coming on and um, yeah, cheers. Thanks to you guys. Pleasure to speak to you and, and good luck with your podding adventures. <laughs> cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Brilliant. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Liam.